You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by UFM Underwear. Head to UFMunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear, support your manhood. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me on this episode is Will Miles from ReadAndReaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. Will, plain and simple, this is a big one. Top 10 matchup versus the Auburn Tigers. That uh, a team we don't get to see enough of in the swamp. Yeah, man, season's finally starting. We've sort of been champing at the bit for this. All year long, you know, hoped you'd get here five and zero for both teams, and it's happened. So it's it's exciting. You got college game day coming to the swamp. You got uh, you know you got the 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 throwback jerseys, so we don't have to do any analysis because we never win games when we're wearing white helmets. At least that's what Twitter tells me. So um, <laughs> yeah, so so it's going to be a good one. I mean, this is this is we won't have to hear any of the complaining about the student section not showing up on time and all all the stuff that's sort of ancillary to the football all year long. At this point, no longer is ancillary to the football. It's a big game. I'm excited about it, man. Absolutely, absolutely there. And I think everybody's ready for this one. Uh, as you said, and we'll get into a little bit this more, uh, a little more on the episode, but you did say, you know, the season starts now. In a way, it's kind of been, it, this is kind of a reset uh, in a way because this is the stretch of the schedule, starting with Auburn, that we've went and looked at before the season started that we know would define Florida's season, how successful it could be. Uh, it kicks off uh, with Auburn. Uh, well, I kind of alluded to it just a second ago when we were discussing this, but, uh, you know, and Mullins even brought it up. I didn't have this in the episode, but it just brought up a good point that, you know, was in my head here. Um, kind of what we were discussing when Florida and Miami were playing against each other is, you know, and the conference gets in the way here, but man, I mean, Florida Auburn used to be something else, man. In the mid '90s, and Auburn's on probation, and uh, the, you know, Florida can't Florida can't beat them. Terry Bowden's leading the way there. Uh, all the great games, uh, the in the early 2000s, uh, uh, 2001, they gave Florida their Auburn gave Florida their first loss, but turn around and Zook uh, comes over and beats uh, Auburn in overtime uh, with a. Great Rex Grossman passed, and then uh, it's just – and then, of course, I think you have to go to 2006, and Auburn's the only loss on Florida's schedule. You know, it, it, there's been a lot of Florida success, 
versus Auburn since, you know, 90s when most of us, you know, got into Florida football with our age and all that, you know, it's the 90s on forward. It's been a lot of success versus Auburn, but the ones where Auburn gets Florida, man, those steam. They really do. I mean, you know, I was there for a game game ending field goal at one point where Auburn, you know, walked off with a field goal. And then, you know, obviously the past you alluded to the game in 2006 where, you know, leak, I still swear that was not a fumble. Yeah. I don't know how that was called a fumble. And even with replay, they didn't get it right. So, yeah, there's been. You know, it feels like those are the games where, you know, we talk about it every year. Actually, for the last three years, we've talked about LSU being a fulcrum game. And Auburn, based on where it is in the season, sort of has that same effect, right? I mean, if Florida wins this game, then that game in Baton Rouge the next week mm-hmm. is, uh, is you know, just next level in terms of how big that is. And, you know, that's the kind of gravitas Auburn has. Auburn's always a very good program. And, you know, it's just different than playing Mississippi State or playing Ole Miss or playing Arkansas, right? I mean, you win that game, you're supposed to win that game if you're Florida. When you're playing Auburn, you know, that's one of those where it's like really a 50-50 proposition most of the time. It's the elite of the elite, and those are the games you want to you be in. Absolutely. So one quick shout-out before we get into the uh, meat of the episode here. Uh, the group I tailgate with – uh, the Harmonic Woods tailgaters are celebrating their 10-year anniversary this year, and it culminates with uh, this Saturday's tailgate. Um, the moniker here, we tailgate harder than your team plays, uh, is the, is an awesome motto for the group. And, Will, you can attest to that uh, there. So, you know, I can't wait to be amongst that group this Saturday. Uh, shout out to Mayor and the crew for uh, putting on more than a tailgate. Uh, it's an event that's been around for 10 years Will, as I said, you've been there to tailgate. There's nothing like it. Uh, been featured. Uh, we were featured on CNN two weeks ago for the Tennessee game. Uh, in the past, they've been on ESPN. The Wall Street Journal has featured them. It's uh, it, it is it is different when 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 you're amongst that group and different in such a good way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and they travel some too, which yeah. is which is kind of unique for tailgates. And yeah, there was and, a, it was a Kentucky game this year, so. Yeah, well, I mean, and I had a good time. I was there for the Missouri game last year, and and the tailgating scene was a little bit uh, subdued after the loss to Georgia, but not at the Harmonic Woods tailgate, man. That that place was that place is hopping. I'm sure it's going to be crazy for this game against Auburn. I'm sorry I can't be there because this could be a blast. Absolutely, that was. Uh, I wish everybody, uh, you know, could make that one. One of my one of my best friends is finding from New York. He's an Auburn fan. Uh, he's coming down for the game, so uh, he'll get uh, he'll get introduced the right way. <laughs> I was gonna say you're gonna you gonna get him drunk, throw him in the bushes, and then take his ticket. Is that? <laughs> I'll be nice. <laughs> All right. Before we get here uh, to the episode, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on News4Jacks.com/slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes. Also catch the uh, episodes at Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or YouTube. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Also, every week, you'll be able to catch it later on in the week, a News for Jacks exclusive talking with Troop, where former Gators tight end Ben Troop joins me once a week this season uh, to give a look at the Gators, give his thoughts uh, on there. So a lot, uh, of course, looking uh, looking forward to a Troop with this big matchup uh, versus Auburn, and that's exclusively every week on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Will, okay, here we go. A lot riding on this game for the Gators against Auburn. Uh, we know it's only one game. 
not going to define Florida's season, but it can go a long way uh, in, in the short term. Kind of hit on that uh, a little bit already, as you said, uh, looking at the LSU game the next week too. But uh, you know, this game will affect the perception and maybe even expectations for Florida. Yeah, ESPN's college game day will be in town. It's the CBS 330 game uh, in a week that doesn't really have a great slate of games nationally. Uh, it, it's homecoming, all the hoopla that comes with that. Florida's breaking out the throwback jerseys. A lot's being packed into this game. All eyes would be on Gainesville this Saturday. And Florida's already been in a similar situation already this year. We're taking on Miami in the season opener and, and all eyes on, the, on Florida for that one. Uh, but, you know, boy, did the narrative change about Florida as soon as that game ended. Uh, you know, Florida doesn't deserve to be in the top 10. Florida isn't that great of a team. And, and the narrative hasn't changed with close wins versus Kentucky and, and and beating a bad Tennessee team, still struggling in certain areas, even though you shut out Towson and UT Martin. Uh, and, and to be honest, there's a lot of fair critiques out there. But, uh, heck, you know, it's even calls, you know, Florida to, you know, Paul Fonbaum put out this today. You know, it's caused Florida to drop twice in the AP poll after wins. Uh, versus Miami and then this pass poll uh, after beating Towson. So, you know, I think we can agree as a fan base this season so far, has it been a smooth ride for the Gators, but they are 5-0, found a way to win games. Um, does all that mean they're not worthy of a top 10 team? The answers are split on that. Yeah, I mean, I think you could kind of make the same argument for Auburn. I mean, they beat an Oregon team who hasn't looked quite as impressive since that initial game. I mean, they blew out an FCS opponent, but then struggled with, you know, sort of what I would de deem a cupcake and then struggled with Stanford a couple of weeks ago as well on the road. Um, you look at Texas A&M, you know, they're they're not necessarily all that great a team when you look at when you look at how they've played. Kellen Mond's really struggled and and took you know, everything they, were, they could to beat Arkansas. Right. So when you look at AM and you look at Kentucky, um, you know, are they really that different? I mean, I think AM beats Kentucky, but um, I don't necessarily think that that's. I, I guess basically what I'm saying is when we're talking about one game changing a perception, the one game that changed the perception of Auburn was really Mississippi State, right? Yeah. Yep. And that everyone thinks Oregon is a fantastic team. And they thought Texas AM going into that game was a really good team. And so. Auburn beat them close, but because they were the perception of those teams was that they were very, very good. Um, then the perception of Auburn is that they're good too. I think it's also a question of building, right? I mean, one of the things that we've sort of seen over the first five games with Florida is we keep saying, well, we want to see growth on the offensive line. Mm -hmm. And then you haven't necessarily seen growth, at least in the the results on the running game. And then you say, hey, we, we want to see Felipe Franks develop throughout the year. He gets hurt against Kentucky. And now you're sort of saying, OK, well, what do we have with Kyle Trask? So, um, you know, that that's not to say that Trask is is worse than Franks. It's just to say that, you know, I don't think people at a national scale believe the win against Tennessee and Towson in terms of how good he is. And he's going to have to show it against a good team. And I got to be honest, if he goes out and plays the same way he has the last two weeks against, against Auburn, Florida's got a great chance to win. And that really does change the perception of the team because at that point you've beaten a team that, that everybody thinks is really, really good. And you get those opportunities three or four times a year. Florida's going to get them three times in the next four weeks, but uh, you know, you have the opportunity to change that perception. And I mean, again, I, I think, the reality is, is that these teams are probably pretty even. And I think perception only matters when you get to the end. And there so you, the yep, perception is going to change two or three times throughout the year. You know, it's not going to matter if you beat Auburn and LSU, if you get stomped by Georgia. So 
end of the day, this is the first step in a gauntlet. It's a home game. So you want to make sure that you play well and that you put your best foot forward in a home game. But, um, end of the day, yeah, it can change perceptions, but I don't really care about perceptions. I care about being in the playoff. So this, a win here is important to get into the playoff. That's why it's important to me. Yeah. It's a statement game in the way that, you know, it can either shut the doubters up for a little while <laughs> or prove the doubters. Right. Uh, you know, that's the way they're looking at it. You know, even Paul Feinbaum is all day or pretty much all season, not been high on Florida, uh, kind of continuing that narrative today. Um, you know, it, 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 and there really isn't much in the middle of that. I guess a close loss of some type of great game play can, can, can do that. But for the most part, we're going to get answers uh, for the skaters team, answers people are looking for. Are they elite? Do they belong in the top 10? Are they good? How good? Uh, you know, this is a chance for Florida to gain some respect. You know, I, I don't want to make the game bigger than it is, and it's certainly not an end-all, be-all or a final indictment on, on this team. But perception goes a long way, as you said, basically toward the end there. You want to kind of build that and, and let it build as the season goes on. But it doesn't really matter as long as you win games. Uh, and with Florida's schedule, that's exactly what needs to happen. But this is a chance for, you know, th there's a lot of talk out there lately about how how game day and Kirk Herbstreet and Desmond Howard all love to pick against the Gators or pick a close game versus Tennessee or lately, you know, as I said, Von Baum down in the Gators or, the, or national perception uh, just out there just in general uh, that this Gators team doesn't deserve to be top 10. They're, they're dropping when they get wins uh, there. I've seen, I think, Joel Klatt from Fox Sports also pretty, you know, emphatically out there saying Florida's not a top 10 team. So, you know, if – Everybody, when you turn on game day, when you turn on Sports Center, when you turn on SEC Network, you like to hear your team talked about. You like to see your team talked about in a positive manner. It hasn't happened a lot for Florida. You win this game against Auburn, you know, at least for a few days, because the media's love fest for LSU, but at least for a few days, uh, Florida will probably get some positive talk and positive momentum after this game if they come out with a win. Sure. I mean, it's fun to watch those, those you know, the game day final and those sorts of things when your team's won, particularly when you got to see somebody eat crow who, who picked yeah. the other team to start with. Believe me, last year I picked LSU and everybody let me know it right afterwards. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not fun being on that side of it, but it's certainly fun when you're on the, uh, when you're on the other side of it. And that's why, that's why college football is great, right? Is that you get to have these debates and, you know, we, we, I think people try to use the transitive property and say, well, you know, since, since Auburn beat Oregon, if Florida can be, you know, Florida can beat Auburn, then they're better than Oregon. I don't know that it necessarily translates that way, but, um, well, I mean, the perfect example there, Will. Go, look, North Carolina loses to App State last week. And you know what? They had a chance to beat Clemson this past weekend. Yeah. Well, it, you, it, doesn't, it just doesn't work. Well, it is interesting though, that I, I do think that you need to start taking into account. One of the things I do try to look at is who does a team play before they come into the game? Right. Mm -hmm. So, and if you look at, if you look at Auburn, you know, they got at Texas A&M and the Mississippi state. Yeah. They rolled over Mississippi state, but you do wonder um, what kind of energy they're going to have left. Cause they clearly were up for that Mississippi state game and now you get got to get up again. And, you know, on the road, if, if there's anything that we've learned is in, in college football, it's that it's really difficult to get 18, 19 and 20 year olds up every week. And we saw it with Clemson this past week. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't tell me that Clemson didn't think, oh, this team lost to App yeah. State. We're just going to come out and roll over them. But it's a road game, uh, you know, at, at North Carolina. North Carolina came out, hit Trevor Lawrence in the mouth a few times. They didn't have ninth year senior Hunter Renfro to bail him out. And, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, like Clemson struggled. And I think 
Um, you know, now everybody is going to look at Clemson and go, oh, we need to drop them to third or fourth or something like that. It's like, no, it's a bunch of 18-year-olds who are really good who decided to take a week off because they thought they could and they almost got caught. And, you know, I, I think the same thing could apply to Auburn here where you've got some guys who who absolutely dominated last week and they're going to come into the swamp thinking that they're going to do the same thing. They get hit in the mouth real quick, fall behind, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's a whole lot easier to throw that ball up for jump balls and the sorts of things that uh, that they were, were able to do last week against Mississippi State when you're up by 30 points. It's a whole lot more difficult when you're down 14 on the road. So um, you know, I'm excited. I think this is going to be a close game. I think the teams are pretty close. Um, again, I think the perception is really just a matter of, do you want to hear your team spoken well about? I'm not sure we're going to get what we want anyway. <laughs> I yeah. think I think at the end of the day, a lot of people made up their minds at that Miami game, the same way a lot of the fans made up their minds about Felipe Franks two years ago. You know, And, and until you've proven them wrong, and proving them wrong really means more than one game. It's going to have to be Auburn, LSU, and Georgia. And then, you know, you come out of that stretch and you, you know, if, you're, if they go in this next stretch, if they go 4-0 in October, then then they'll get the respect. If they go two and two, then, you know, the people who were doubters are, are correct. And I don't think the doubters are saying they're not a top 25 team. I think they're saying yeah. that they don't think they're cream of the crop in the sec. And the nice part is, is when you're in the conference, you get to prove it. So we'll get to see that this weekend and in the coming weeks as well. Yeah. You know, and this might be the most winnable game when you look at the the, the top ranked opponents that, that Florida has you know, that are, you know, that they're going to play uh, in, in the next month or so have to travel to, to Baton Rouge versus LSU next week uh, that we found out today is going to be a, a night game uh, on ESPN. So uh, you follow that up with a trip to South Carolina after have to, after having much like we're talking about Auburn here after having to get up for two top 10 opponents. So you know, that'd get the trap game label or the must win game label for uh, whatever happens uh, in these two games coming up. And then you have to play a top three Georgia uh, after a bye week. So you know, this Auburn game could go a long way in giving this team some, some confidence to get things rolling. Uh, like the Mississippi state game did last year for the skaters team. Uh, you know, everyone out there is patting Auburn on the back uh, after a strong start and, and pounding Mississippi State last week. So, th- you know, this will be a big win, I think, in, in people's minds and can calm down the detractors just a little bit uh, of the Skaters team. So, you know, it, uh, you know in the end, yeah, it, it really doesn't matter. But it, it, I, in looking on Twitter too much and looking on message boards, it, it does matter. People out there are, are discussing you know, just the national narrative that is around for it. Well, and the place that it matters is all of those recruits who are going to be sitting there. Yeah. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, Mullen has, and this is uh, a big weekend. Big, yeah, big well, weekend. Well, I mean, let's be honest, right. He's struggled to bring in those elite caliber guys consistently. And that, you know, he's bringing, he's bringing in a top 10 class, but he's not bringing in top five and certainly not bringing in, you know, classes that are competitive with, with Alabama and Georgia. And the way to change that clearly is going to be to win. And so if, if you win big against Auburn, that makes a huge difference. Auburn's one of those schools that you have to compete with, um, not only on the field, but on the recruiting trail as well. And, you know, having that positive press for the week heading into the LSU game, I think makes a difference um, twofold for recruiting, right? I mean, you get the, you get the week, you get the win of the, with the guys who are in the swamp, but then you get people talking about the program mm-hmm. for a week going into that LSU game. And again, if you pull that off, then you got three straight weeks where people are talking about Florida as an elite national power. People want to go to schools like that. So um, I think from that standpoint, that's maybe where I think the narrative really makes a difference is that, you know, people are doubting whether Florida is a paper tiger at this point. 
And the only way to go out and prove them, <laughs> prove it is to go out and beat all the Tigers that are sitting in your way. So they got two more and, and we'll see what they can do. Well, we're making too much of, uh, you know, game day coming to town and, and, all, and all the hoopla surrounding this game. Uh, you know, I thought go back and a lot of people were trying to go and compare it to how you know, compare it to past big games uh, in, 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 in Gators recent history, at least uh, go back to last year's uh, LSU game um, in what, 2015 McElwain and, and his Gators and that Ole Miss game when Ole Miss is coming to town uh, there. A lot of people were pointing to, uh, you know, to those, those two games there in recent memory of kind of, some situ- situations where Florida's not looked at as a team that can that can beat the team coming in uh, home to the swamp, and well, I believe I looked at, I looked it up yesterday, and so I think this is the first time Florida in, in a top ten matchup are home underdogs um, since 2012 versus LSU. Uh, so uh, interesting dynamic there, but you know, with, with game day, with homecoming, with everything surrounding this game. Uh, and, and like I kind of mentioned it you, earlier, the Miami game, of course, to, to kick off the season where Florida had the spotlight on them. I mean, this is this, this is a big game, and it, not even for the narrative of that out there. You know, just if we're focusing just on Florida and what Florida can do, and it's Florida fans. I mean, this this game is big, and, and it's good to have a big top ten game in the swamp. Mullen talks about it all the time. It's the Gator standard. This is why you come to Florida to play in games like these. Haven't been many of them recently. Go back to LSU last year. You got another one this year with uh, uh, with Auburn coming to town. Hopefully, this is becoming a yearly occurrence to where we have more games like this in the swamp. And I mean, look, last year you had the big win versus LSU in the swamp, but later on in the year you had the dud against Missouri. So you know, Mullins had some mixed results of what he does uh, at, at home. And I think one big takeaway. Uh, this year in his second year was to kind of turn it around and make the swamp int- in- in- intimidated again. Pretty good crowd in, in what it was a couple weeks ago against Tennessee. But no, this is with a microscope, you know, the, the, the big game uh, of the season here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people pointed to this before the season even started and said, we hope both teams can get to this yeah. at five and zero. Right. I mean, you don't want Auburn coming in limping in at two and three. You want them to be a big boy when they come in here to play and you get that opportunity to do that. So I I think it makes a huge difference for them. Or I mean, I think it makes a huge difference for the players. I think it makes a huge difference for the fans. You know how it is on that campus. It is electric when you've got just the whole day. I mean, you know, you wake up in the morning and you, and you go out on campus, especially if you're living on campus and there's just a buzz. And to have that buzz going all the way through that campus the entire day is a really special thing. It's why it's why those of us who went there fell in love with college football in the first place. I mean, you know, we liked it coming in, but man, once you spend time on that campus, it, it just makes a difference in terms of how you perceive it. So um, I, I think, um, you know, the, the 2012 LSU game is the one that really is sort of popping up into my head. That's one of the ones where I thought Muschamp finally, like I thought he, like at that point we were like, hey, we're in good hands with this guy, which mm-hmm. obviously proved not to be the truth <laughs> after a while. But, you know, that was a game where you just looked at it. And I felt proud of the team after that game because they had been, they had really sort of been, you know, they had had the narrow win against AM where Driscoll threw, made the pass on the road. They beat Johnny Football. Nobody knew whether he, nobody knew that he was good when Florida played him. Um, you know, and 
And in that LSU game, they basically just popped him in the mouth, right? And it was something mm-hmm. where they just out-physicaled LSU in that game, beat him down, and eventually were able to pull away in the fourth quarter because of it. And it was one of those things where you say, okay, yeah, that's the identity of my team. Now, I don't think Florida necessarily has that identity for this year's team, but I think it's the same type of thing where if they can, if they can utilize the things they do well, and really what they do well is they throw the ball. And mm-hmm. if they can utilize that and they can chuck it all over the yard, then you're going to walk out of this game feeling really good about Kyle Trask at quarterback and sort of have that same feeling, right? That, you know, we were underestimated. We had our backup quarterback and still took a top 10 team and, and, and beat him at home. And I think it more than anything, that really says something about the program that the, that if a backup quarterback can come in and can, and can dominate a top 10 SEC opponent um, in a big game like this, then you say, okay, like now the program is healthy because of the way, because of really what that says. Yeah. Just ready for that. Like you said, just ready for that big game feeling in Gainesville and everything surrounding it. And as you said, there, there's nothing else like that. Uh, you know, that stadium with 90,000 fans are going crazy. Uh, we, we long for it, uh, but you know, we, we want it back what it was in the Spurrier and urban days when there was, it seemed like a big game every weekend, uh, every home game weekend. And, and uh, that's exactly what this one's feeling like. So we'll get into the more, more of the Gators and uh, kind of what they're bringing to the table uh, here versus Auburn. But before we do uh, guys, you have got to go try UFM underwear. It's hot out there. So whether you're tailgating or working, you need a pair of UFM underwear. Underwear for Men is the only brand of men's underwear that offers both isolation and support, all while keeping you cool. Unlike other pouch underwear brands that have thin mesh panels or pre-sized pouches, Underwear for Men's patented pending design prevents skin-on-skin contact and eliminates chafing. Underwear for Men is a state-of-Florida company and has you covered no matter the activity. Everyday underwear, athletic underwear, work underwear, medical underwear, Underwear for Men is made for it all. Try your pair now. Head over to ufmunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN to get $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear, support your manhood. So, Will, of course, uh, the big uh, topic for this Gators team and going against Auburn is the offensive line versus the defensive line and the, probably the biggest mismatch going into the game that we see. So we'll see, we'll see what happens there. But Mullen kind of called him out. Or no, no, not kind of. Uh, Mullen called him out <laughs> after the uh, after the game this past weekend against Towson. Once again, opened up about the offensive line in his Monday uh, press conference when asked in saying um, it, it, it was saying you know what the offensive line currently is doing is not enough. And that's the gist of what he said Saturday night. And it was the gist of what he was saying Monday as well. Uh, Florida's limited will to, to put it nicely, you know, and, and what they can do here, you know, so far this season, it looks like they have six guys. They trust to go out there uh, in Forsyth, Heggy, Buchanan, Bleich, DeLance and garage. Of course, we're starting to see the tinkering more with garage and inserting him at left guard while moving Heggy to right guard, you know, moving forward. You know, I'd start with that set and see if it improves the inside run game. Uh, I think that's the, the biggest detractor so far of what they've, the offensive line is bringing to the table, not being able to get that uh, run game going specifically uh, inside. So I'm not expecting some big jump in production with that move being made, but something has to happen on the right side of that offensive line. And, and that's a starting point. Uh, Blyche and DeLance just, you know, haven't had the best of years so far and also struggle much more than they should have uh, versus the likes of Towson. 
Yeah, I mean, the issue that you run into really when you look at the offensive line is twofold. One is that I think there are missed assignments, and that was really what what Mullen called him out for after the game um, on on Saturday. But the other thing is is that they're not necessarily being physical even when they do carry out their assignments. So I've got I got an article that's going to be coming out tonight, probably or at least tomorrow morning, and and it's going to be looking at this. And really, what you see is that. A lot of times the there's a blown assignment and the play gets play gets blown up, but a lot of times the offensive lineman gets to the linebacker he's supposed to get to, <laughs> and then just kind of put two hand touches him and and you know the running back gets ready to cut and all of a sudden the linebacker's there and he get, he comes out from behind the, behind the offensive lineman. I, I don't see any pancakes, and yeah. when you're 325 pounds and you're taking on a 250 pound linebacker or 225 pound linebacker when you're talking about Towson, like there need to be some pancakes Like those guys need to be laying on their butt because you just came in and ran them over. And, you know, if you miss them because you're coming in with full effort, that's fine. But, but it looks like they're being kind of tentative, even when they do things right. So I think that like, you know, when they're in the right spot. So I yeah. think maybe that's the thing you can correct. Like you're not going to be able to correct the missed assignments <laughs> when the guy, when P Ryan got drilled down on the goal line, you can't yeah. do anything about that. Right. Like somebody, yeah. somebody screwed up. I'm not entirely sure who it was, but somebody screwed up and um, you know, you can't do anything about that. You screw up that assignment. Somebody's going to get drilled. But what you can do is you can control when you're in the right place. Are you playing with a, with a physicality and are you playing with a, with an anger? And, and I haven't necessarily seen that now, maybe on the Towson tape, it shows up that way because, you know, the guys were sort of sleepwalking through a game against a cupcake, but you know, you didn't, you haven't seen that really all year either. Yeah. So I, I think that's maybe the thing I would look for is, is there. And, and I, I think I said this at some point, I think I said this during the spring game, maybe I wanted somebody to get an unsportsman like penalty, you know, just mm. go out to go out there and hit somebody hard and, and sort of draw a flag. I mean, it, that wouldn't be a bad thing early if one of the offensive linemen, you know, over was overzealous in driving someone to the ground or driving them into the sideline. I, I would welcome that because of what it means in terms of that they're ready and that they're, they may be beaten because of, you know, their technique or because they don't know exactly where they're supposed to be, but they're not going to get beaten because they're being tentative. I think maybe that's the change you'd like to see um, more than, more than anything specifically with the scheme. There are probably some scheme things they can do too. One of the things they did do was they put the quarterback um, under center a lot more. Yeah. In the game against Towson, ran some inside zone plays, more stretch plays like you see in old Denver Broncos offenses um, were the kinds of things that uh, that you saw. And that's where they started to get a little bit of success, particularly with Pierce. But I think Pirine would have had similar successes had they blocked the plays for Pirine in the same way. I mean, he's looked a little bit tentative, but let's be honest, when you're getting hit five yards behind the line of scrimmage, you're going to look tentative anyway. Pierce has a little bit better ability to shake those those tackles. So I do think that maybe um, you know your tackles for loss aren't quite as bad. Maybe you get a five-yard gain instead of a three-yard gain. But um, end of the day, I don't necessarily think it's a running back. I think it's a, it's a matter of the offensive line – when it does what it when the when the guys do what they're supposed to do, making sure that they finish the play. Well, you kind of alluded to it with scheme and and, and everything that's going on there. I'm still in the mind that we still haven't seen Dan Mullen get creative as he wants to be, or maybe the offense even opened up to a point. But the question is, can it be opened up? Can it get creative, or is the offensive line too deficient to where that's to where, to where it's limited, you know, it, it's hard to mask offensive line issues in the SEC. But you know, I believe there is something there Mullen can bring to the table to, to help keep defenses off balance. Uh, we probably start seeing more misdirection type plays. 
Piran out of the backfield, catching the ball more, of, of course, wide receiver screen passes to, to help extend the run game. Uh, but defenses will catch on uh, to most of that at some point, uh, as good as these defenses are that Florida's com- coming up on the, on the schedule. You know, eventually this offensive line is going to have to improve if Florida is, is to play up, there, up to their potential in offense. But I remember in the second half, and it's third and two, versus Towson and you know that should be a point where you can rely on an offensive line versus an overmatched defensive line go get you know push them back two yards get a first down and keep the drive moving but it was the play where I believe Trask was under center Travon Grimes is moving in motion and he catches the screen off the motion first time I've kind of seen Florida run that play but you know it's third and two and here they are running a wide receiver screen to go get the three, four yards that they need. And and I think it's they're working on that because they know they're going to need it in that same situation coming up because there's not a lot of confidence they can run the ball in that same situation. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. I think part of it as well is you want to show that so that Auburn has to look at it and, and take a guy out of the box to make yeah. sure that they take that away, right? Like the whole point of the run game is that you want to try to get a numbers advantage. And if you can't get a numbers, adv- I mean, if, if when you're even, you don't have an advantage, then you got to find a way to get one up. And if teams are going to dedicate more resources to stopping the passing game, then great. Then you should be able to run the ball. If you've got, if you've got an advantage by one player up there up front, um, I, I think, yeah, they're going to do a few things to try to to try to get things going. I, I think, for the most part, um, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do. Though what I would say is that la- so the reason they announced the starting offensive line today and they basically kept the starters the same as they had, you know, all year, and there are reasons for that, and a lot of that has to do with the pass protection, which has been pretty good. And if you look at the strength of Florida's offense, it's throwing the ball. And it's it's identifying the one-on-one matchups and and finding those. And even when even when the opposing team is playing defenses that are more geared towards pass plays, Mullen's offense really has an answer for those sorts of things. Based as long as the quarterback goes the right to the right receiver, so um, I think that's really what you're going to have to see. Is you're going to have to see a bit of an aerial show, which is interesting to say. If you'd have told me that I was going <laughs> to say that we were going to need an aerial show show with Kyle Trask at quarterback to beat Auburn. Or, you know, before the season started, I would have said, okay, that that probably doesn't bode well. But well, that goes, that kind of, yeah, that kind of goes through our episode last week where it was a different looking 4-0 start and now a different looking 5-0 start heading into this Auburn game. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the offense is going to be able so the offense will be able to move the ball because they they do it through the air because Mullen's a creative play caller. Remember last year he pulled out that reverse throwback pass with Lucas Kroll that nobody had seen before against LSU. So he had a wrinkle up his sleeve for that particular game. Same same as when they went to Mississippi State and they thought they were overmatched up front. They pulled out the trick play to Kadarius Tony. So I, I don't doubt he's going to have a play like that that they're going to rep and that they're going to try to try to take advantage of. One thing I did think of last week when they were doing all of the screen passes is I was wondering whether they were, whether they were trying to set up Auburn for the types of things they want to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you can't run the ball and you think you might struggle if you get one dimensional, one thing you might try to do is get Auburn to bring their corners up a little bit. And then maybe you can hit a couple of deep shots in the yeah. game and get some, I don't want to call them cheap points because you still got to hit the play, but um you know, Trask has shown that he's pretty adept at hitting that, especially down the middle. If you can get them to come up to try to stop the third down conversion on a little screen pass, you might be able to hit something deep. Um, you know, when you're when you're sort of faking that little screen pass, because I don't think you show that screen pass against Towson 
unless you're using it to set up something um, deceptive against either Auburn or LSU coming up, because it, why would you give that away? Right. Like that, yeah. that, that's an effective alternative to the run game. I suspect that that's setting something up for this game. And if it's a close game, you know, maybe midway in the third quarter, watch for something where they use that as a decoy, slip the receiver next to him out deep and see if they can hit him on a busted coverage. Yeah. Really. You read my mind. I was, you know, taking notes and, and getting ready for the the preview episode I'll have later in the week too. And I really do believe why receivers beating press coverage this week will be big. Cause I do think Auburn will be bringing Kevin Steele uh, has defended Dan Mullen's offense pretty good. The last two times they, they, they played, they played each other from Auburn and Mississippi state days. So uh, yeah. And if he, if he creeps those defensive backs up, I, I do think it's imperative. Those wide receivers uh, break uh, the, the man coverage there and, and, and try and hit some big plays uh, down the field. And, well, before we move on to the defense here, uh, of course, I think that one of the, besides the offensive line and because of the offensive line, one of the bigger questions on offense is the use of LaMichael P. Ryan and Damian Pierce. Who should get more carries? Who should start? I still think LaMichael P. Ryan should start because of what Elsie brings uh, there to the table as far as he's the better pass blocker out of the two, and I think Florida's going to need some protection to help that offensive line versus this Auburn uh, defensive line and for what this Auburn defensive line is they're still better they're better at stuffing the run more so than they are going back there and creating habits for sacks it's more about stuffing the run so you know maybe that's another thing for Florida to look at in this game you can't run the ball anyway and nobody can run the ball in Auburn so it may be who you are have don't have much of a choice but to pass the ball anyway but you know and so I think given those options of LaMichael P. Ryan still being uh, maybe a step ahead of Pierce in pass blocking and also him being a receiver out of the backfield, you still see a good bit of LaMichael P. Ryan early on. But I do think Damian Pierce has done enough to warrant some carries early in a game if the run game's struggling or if you want to try and get the run game going. Maybe you get the run game more going with him, but if you're going to be out there passing the ball as much as we think it's going to take for Florida to win this game, I still think you're going to see a whole lot of LaMichael P. Ryan. Yeah, I mean, I think you gotta, it, it, you have to have the deception out there of P. Ryan in some capacity so that you're not giving away what you're doing, especially if you're not comfortable with Pierce and pass protection. Because, uh, you know, we talked about narratives earlier, and I think the narrative is that the Florida defense or the Florida offense has struggled. And I think the narrative as well is that those close games were close because the offense was, was struggling until Trash took over in the Kentucky game. That narrative isn't true, though, when you look at the facts. So Florida's 87th in yards per rush this year, um, but they're 21st in yards per play. So they're 13th in yards per pass. They've been chucking the ball all over the place. And those that's against FBS opponents. So, um, you know, Florida's a top 20 offense in terms of yards per play. They haven't been able to finish the drives, but it's not like they've stalled in the red zone. It's that they haven't been able to finish the drives because they turned the ball over so much. So against Tennessee, they didn't turn the ball over near as much. They still did in the second half, but they didn't turn the ball over in the first half at all. Well, they had the one fumble, I guess, for Trask. But beyond that, they had the one turnover. And then last week against Towson, they didn't have any. So um, when they haven't turned the ball over, they've been very effective at – um, at, at scoring and they've really moved the ball very well. Um, 
you know, now obviously turnovers count. You can't have those sorts of things. That I think is maybe the key to the game more so than, than the running efficacy is, are you able to avoid turnovers? If you're going to, you're going to end up being one dimensional regardless of who you have in there, which means you need the running back in there. Who's going to be the best in pass protection because Trask will hold onto the ball. And the mm-hmm. last two weeks we've saw we've seen fumbles where he's been stripped when he's been getting ready to throw and and the line hasn't been able to hold up for as long as he's wanted to hold on to the ball. So to me, that's the thing you look at. I, I don't know that the running game is like I'm not concerned what their yards per rush is in this case. I think what I'm concerned about is does Trask have enough time to continue being able to throw the ball down the field? And that's sort of where the game's gonna be decided. Yeah, and I'll get to it later in the preview episode too. But I, I do wonder, you know, just how creative Florida gets in the running game too. Uh, we, we we haven't seen a lot of the outside speed option plays. I don't know how comfortable Kyle Trask is running that in comparison to what how Felipe Franks ran it with Lamichael Piran starting in the mid stretch of the season, like last year. You know, we're about a year removed from that, where we started seeing that mid stretch uh, last year. Do we see it mid stretch this year? I don't know how comfortable Kyle Trask is running that play. Uh, we didn't. I, I mean, I don't think we haven't seen it much since the Malik Davis fumble against Miami. That's the last notable time I remember seeing that play uh, there. So we know it, we know that's in the arsenal. We know that's in the playbook. Uh, and also, you know, moving towards the goal line there, and, and Josh Hammond getting sweeps so that we would normally see Kadarius Tony or maybe even Jacob Copeland take. Uh, you know, surprisingly, it's Josh Hammond uh, taking those, and that's you know after he busted one versus Kentucky there. So a nice little wrinkle there uh, that we've seen that uh, Auburn will have to prepare for when they see Josh Hammond uh, out there lined up wide as well. well yeah, before- I'll I'll tell you the one thing that I think Pierce did do really well in that Towson game. And if you go back and look at the film, he seems to do really well is he will cut back Mm. after the defenders overrun the play. And I, and you saw that in a couple of the plays against Towson where the offensive line didn't necessarily do a fantastic job of blocking the play, but he was able to cut back against the zone. And and that's something you always saw with, again, those Denver Broncos teams that were running those inside. Davis was golden with that. Very much so, and and when they were under center and they were running that basically stretch play, um, you know those cutback lanes were there, and Pierce was hitting in those and hitting those hard. So that's maybe something to look for. Um, but you know, Florida's only going to get under center every once in a while. They're not going to run. They're not going to run that play a ton. <laughs> I agree with you. Last year against LSU was when we sort of saw the the odd the odd option that they would run to the, to the weak side of the, of the defense. They tried running it against Kentucky earlier in the year to the strong side and it gotten completely mm-hmm. stuffed. So they moved it to the weak side of the defense and were able to, were able to get some, make some hay that way. The other thing is, I, I think we looked at, if you look at where the offensive line was last year against Kentucky and even Mississippi state, it was a work in progress. And then it wasn't until really the South Carolina game that it started to all gel together. Now, obviously Mullen wants it to gel together a whole lot quicker here, but you know, I I think what you're going to see is he's going to have a few subtle schematic changes to help open up a few things. You don't need to hit, you don't need to hit, four yards every run what you need to hit is three or four 20 yard runs to loosen things up get those safeties up and if you get the safeties up then then it opens up what you want to do which is throw the ball because they've been very good at that this year all right well other side of the ball here uh gators got killed on third down again early on uh versus Towson, but all in all still come up with a shutout the gators of course were missing some key players versus auburn and uh, uh, um, uh versus uh, Towson. Um, and but versus Auburn, they should get plenty of ammo with players coming back from injury. 
finally get to see some great tandems back uh, back together again. C.J. Henderson comes back paired with Marco Wilson. Jabari Zuniga comes back paired with Jonathan Grenard. Also, eventual Miller comes back after being dinged up the last couple games. Sean Davis is back as well. So, you know, Zuniga and Grenard can pressure and set the edge to help slow down Auburn, uh, Auburn's outside run game. Henderson back is big because it gives you a speedster to, you know, to – to kind of keep up with Anthony Schwartz and limit big plays uh, in the passing game and run game from him. Uh, you know, Miller Davis are, are, are pretty sound tacklers in, in their right, something Florida needs right now on, on defense. So it's definitely been set up this way, Will, but the Gators getting healthy at the right time should help in controlling what Armour can do to a point. Absolutely. I mean, I remember when we had the credit card scandal a couple of years ago and all those players were missing and it's like, ah, we'll just have the next guy step up. And clearly that wasn't <laughs> what happened in 2017. Like units, units get worse when you've got multiple starters out and particularly then if you have any sort of injuries that then that then deplete things further so yeah you know the backups have been stretched coming in as starters i think that probably served florida well over the course of the entire year that those guys got those reps but now you've got these guys coming in who not only are hopefully a hundred percent not only are more skilled but also don't have the wear and tear of the last two three four games on their body, whereas, you know, we mentioned Auburn coming in off of a physical game against AM and then obviously the win last week, but still getting hyped up for that. You know, it, everybody, by the time you get to four or five, six games into the year, is starting to feel it a little bit. And these guys who are coming back, you know, Zuniga hasn't hasn't rushed the passer in three games. And so he, he should feel fresh, should have lots of energy, assuming he's 100%. Same thing with C.J. Henderson, same thing with, in, in some capacity, Ventrell Miller and, and Sean Davis as well. So I think there's some advantages to getting those guys back. Obviously, you hope they don't have rust early on. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think... I, I, you know, in the rest versus rust argument, I think rest makes a difference much more than rust, particularly when you're in the SEC and everybody's getting dinged up. Yeah. And, and part of it too is when they do come back, are they not only rust, are they 100%? You know, are they playing at 80%? Are they playing at 90%? Uh, you know, at 90% CJ Henderson, I'll take <laughs> anyway. Uh, Zuniga, as much as, uh, you know, some out there, he may not be quite 100% either, but, you know, Pair him with what Grenard's been able to do uh, these last few games, and I think getting that tandem together really, I think, really, really just helps um, you know slow down uh, this Auburn run game as far as being able to help contain it. Uh, and, and we saw if I have a little bit of trouble uh, this week containing the quarterback, which I thought was a pretty good preview of what Nix can do. Uh, I thought Flacco, uh, you know, brought some things to the table where at least it's a little preview of you know, what Nick's can do in, in his run style, break open some some busted plays there. So, you know, Jeremiah Moon necessarily wasn't the best in, in spying him. So maybe it's somebody different this week because I think you maybe have learned the lesson this week that that's not necessarily the best part of his game uh, there. But, you know, Amari Bernie, I feel pretty comfortable in, in maybe putting in that role uh, that, that there as well. So, you know, Ventro Miller uh, as well, it, what he's able to do. Uh, maybe even uh, safety and bringing Sean Davis up uh, as well as the, the sound tackler that he can be uh, and help spying uh, what, what Nix is doing. So, you know, of course, a lot of that's down and distance uh, determined uh, there with, with how you defend the quarterback. But, you know, good to have those guys back. I think, uh, you know, as I said, it was planned. You know, there was no need to really play in these last couple of games. We, we saw that with the way the final scores indicated those games uh, made the right move and not rushing those guys out there. 
Uh, but Will, man, just everything surrounding this one, having those guys back, of course, uh, is it, big. So when the defense is on the field and, and from what you've seen uh, of Auburn so far this year, anything that just kind of catches your eye for, for you know, of course, third down defense, of course, is going to be uh, important. But uh, I think having those guys back and, and probably for me, the reason those third downs happen was because poor tackling. So I think tackling, of course, is probably the biggest issue here. Yeah, it's interesting. When I when I went to go look at the actual stats, Florida's defense has been way better than I think the eye test has has, has shown me. You know, you, you watch the game and you're like, God, we can't get off the field. What's the problem? Why can't we get off the field? But you look at it, yards per play allowed, Florida, even with all those injuries, is 20th in the country against FBS opponents. Now, granted, that's only three games, but still 20th. Um, they're 38th in third down conversion percentage allowed. So not nearly as bad as I would have thought they would have been based on what we've seen. And when you go back and look at it, it starts to make a little bit of sense because they're streaky, right? Yep. So that game against Miami, the in the third quarter, Miami had negative two yards. And so you, you think, well, yeah, well, you know, they gave up that opening drive and they weren't necessarily all that effective and they struggled on third down, but it was like three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out in the third quarter. And kept and kept Florida in that game. Same thing when you think about the fourth quarter against Kentucky. It wasn't quite as extreme as that, but it was you know getting the big turnover on Sawyer Smith. It was um, you know it was stopping them right out of the right out of the shoot so that you had an opportunity right after the uh, the fourth down stop. Um, mm. you know, where Franks got injured, well, then all of a sudden Florida comes back, makes its own fourth down stop, and then Trask takes the ball right down the field, and Florida's back in the game. So the defense has stepped up at times when they've had to. They've been lights out in a quarter or two in these games, but then have struggled in a quarter or two in these games. You know, there's no room to struggle against Auburn at this point. But again, when you look at the overall sort of body of work, particularly with all the guys who've been injured, I think the defense has been really, really good, which is curious to me. I mean, that wasn't something I expected. I expected to see them, ah, you know, they're like 40th, 45th, something like that. No, 20th. And, you know, we, we talked about, again, we talked about narratives earlier. You know, Auburn has a, based on its play against the FBS opponents, on a yards per play basis, Auburn has a defense that's worse than Florida's and an offense that's worse than Florida's. It's not a significant amount. So it's 21st is Florida's offense in yards per play, 30, and Auburn is 35th. And then Florida's 20th in defense, Auburn's 23rd. So these are close numbers. Obviously, they're very close teams. But I think everybody has this perception after the Mississippi State game that Auburn is just this juggernaut that's building to, you know, and has been fantastic all year long. It's just not true uh, when, you, when you look at the underlying numbers. Same thing as I think the narrative is that Florida's defense has struggled you know, mightily in some of these games. And, and again, I don't think that's true either. In fact, I think the defense is really the, I mean, Trash played well in that game against Kentucky, but the reason they won that game is the defense started getting stops. And, uh, you know, again, that, that I think has, is reflected in the numbers when I look back at it, but isn't necessarily what my memory was when watching those games. Man, can Saturday get here already? <laughs> yeah, work, work is going to be rough on Tuesday and Wednesday. By the time Thursday gets around, it'll be like, all right, we're getting closer. But uh, but uh, but Wednesday and Thursday, or Tuesday and Wednesday could be a little bit rough. I think so. I'm definitely ready for this one. I think the fan base is too, uh, of course. Will, uh, read and reaction, of course, you mentioned the uh, offensive line uh, study coming out and, and looking at what those guys, uh, you know, for, through, through five games, um, was it what they've been about so far? Of course, I'm sure you got the Auburn preview coming out as well. 
Absolutely. We'll, we'll have people covered. Hopefully they, uh, hopefully they enjoy it. And, uh, and this is one of those where it, this is one of those games where I think um, the home field advantage really makes a difference. I was surprised mm-hmm. Florida was a three point underdog um, when, when I looked at it and I, I'm, I'm even more surprised as I look closer. It's, it's, it's one of those things where recency bias in terms of that Mississippi state win, I think is pushing Auburn to a place where, uh, you know, I mean, it may be that they win by a field goal. I don't, I mean, I think it's that kind of game. I think it's going to be a close game. I, I don't think this is a 56 to 20 game either way. Um, and, and quickly, uh, and, and quickly, Will, before we talk behind the scenes, uh, you've been impressed with Kyle Trask. I've been very impressed with Kyle Trask. I think, you know, if you look at if you look at the yards above replacement that I measure, he's been up over two <laughs> in both of the games that he's played thus far. He's obviously very decisive when he deci- when he's getting the ball out. Um, the receivers are open a lot of the time, which is one of the things that you look for. It's one of the things I really liked about Joe Burrow when you were looking at the tape of him in high school and even some of his tape at Ohio State was that when he was throwing it, guys, the guys were wide open, which meant he was going to the right spot. I think. It's it's been rare to see Trask have to try to fit something into a tight window. Just he's throwing where the windows are open. Now the question is going to be: those windows get a little bit tighter when you play against a team like Auburn. So it's obviously a step up in competition. But I mean, you can't ask for more than what the guy's done the last couple of weeks. I mean, he completed everything against Tennessee and really lit them up in the first half. And if you get the if Copeland brings in that ball that then he hits him in the hands on the sideline, it looks like a really impressive game. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot sort of like the the performance for for Knicks last week against Mississippi State would have been the same type of performance, at least number wise. And then and then against Towson just all the completions over and over and over again and you know you and I've talked it's hard to complete 70% of your passes against air and he's out there completing 90 against Towson so you know to not have one slip off your fingers to not throw one right into the dirt when you're trying to get it out quickly um, you know those sorts of things is an impressive thing so uh, you know Mullen talked early in the year before Franks was hurt that he viewed his quarterbacks as three starters and that they were all starter level quality and you know you wonder whether that's just coach coach speak or not but um, Trask thus far has proven that it's not coach speak that he deserves to be at Florida and he's really taken his opportunity to run with it all right that's Will Miles you can find him and his site at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.